Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart. Very excited about this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is Earth Day today. We're recording on Earth Day. I've got my green shirt on, and uh, we couldn't have a better topic here to talk about on Earth Day. Uh, Very happy and pleased to introduce our guest, James Regulinski, founder of Carbon Collective. James, thank you so much for coming on the show. David, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Really excited to hear about your platform. And um, like I said, very fitting that we are uh, recording on Earth Day. Your your mission really is to solve climate change. So um, before we jump into Carbon Collective and all the good work you've been doing, um, kind of tell us about your background, set the stage for our viewers and listeners and, and how you ended up founding this awesome company. Yeah, so if we're going all the way back to the beginning um, in terms of my interest in sustainability and how we relate to the earth, um, my parents moved me onto a sailboat when I was 10. So I spent the first five years, not my first five years, but from ages 10 to 15 um, sailing around the world. And there is no way to feel smaller than yeah. to sail across a major ocean and be caught in a storm or really see the impacts of what humans are doing um, when you're snorkeling in coral reefs or sailing through uh, garbage gyres. So it did definitely have an impact. It also was uh, made it very tangible, the limit of resources. When you're on a boat, you have the water you bring with you, you have the fuel you bring with you, you have the energy you generate from the sun, you not just when we plug into electricity in our walls at home or leave the tap on at home, it just all feels infinite, but that's an illusion. Um, and so growing up, it was, it was not an illusion for me. Um, and that definitely stuck with me through the rest of my life. Um, so eventually I uh, went to college for engineering and always had a focus on how we can do more sustainable design, how we can build more sustainable technologies, how we can relate, um, use natural systems and integrate engineered systems with natural systems so they can work more effectively together. Um, so I studied that during my four years at Olin College of Engineering um, and then worked for a number of startups that were working on different technological solutions to climate change. Worked on turning waste, uh, agricultural waste into electricity for base load and microgrids. Worked on high efficiency, um, high efficiency engines and then worked on sensors for fish and shrimp farms to make them less Um, have less negative impact on their local environments, less degradation. But ultimately, in the starting of Carbon Collective, the realization was we didn't need new technologies. New technologies will help in the solving of climate change, but we actually have all the technologies we need. Um, And that came much in a big part from reading Project Drawdown, which laid out how we could use existing technologies to um, avert a climate crisis. And so... Why don't, why aren't we, why haven't we fixed this? Why haven't we solved this yet? And at this point, it's a collective will issue. We haven't all come together and said, we are going to solve this. Um, we're starting to do that. We're starting to see some coalitions building. But from one of the classic ways we have collective 
will uh, collective direction solved is through government action. Um, we elect government officials so that they can represent us and they can solve problems that are complex that we couldn't do on our own. But we don't see, at least in the U.S., sort of a, a functional governmental solution towards climate change, at least not one that's going to be acted on the timescale we need. Um, the other way we've solved this kind of issue in the past is through investments. Um, investments are how we, where we put our money is saying, what kind of future do we believe in? When you get a loan for your house, you're saying, everyone's collectively saying, this house will be worth more in the future. You'll be able to use your income to pay for this loan. When we invest in the technologies that could transition us away from climate change, away, sorry, away from fossil fuels and into technology solving climate change, we're saying that we are going to spend our energy, our collective human energy on solving those problems. So we took, we, we saw the investment path as a way of potentially moving the resources we need into um, the solution space. And that was sort of the, the, um, the spark for Carbon Collective. Really cool. I, I love your story. Thank you for kind of going back to the beginning there. It sounds like we we could probably do another podcast on everything you've done before Carbon Collective because you have a, a fascinating background and it sounds like a lot of really cool, diverse experience. And you you started getting into kind of the next question, which is really what is the most impactful way to address climate change with investing? Talk about the investing gap that you see and, um, you know, starting to get into kind of how climate, um, excuse me, how Carbon Collective, you know, helps to aim to bridge that gap. Yeah. So if you look at what Project Drawdown put forth or what the IE put forth or really most groups that are looking at this, there's some investment gap. And that gap is how much we're currently investing in technologies that would transition us away from fossil fuels. And this can be quite broad. This can be not just uh, renewable energy, but also transportation and the circular economy and various other elements that all fit alternative needs and agriculture solutions. They all can fit into this larger picture. Um, and when you look at them, you can build up how much greenhouse gas emissions you would avoid or cut back on if you were to take each of those steps. And you can look at how much we're investing in those technologies now and how much we need to be investing if we're going to stay below 1.5 or 2 or pick a number. But when you look at those models, the gap is somewhere in the multi-trillion dollars. Generally about $5 trillion is what we need to be investing every year. And we're investing less than a trillion dollars currently. So that, that's the gap I talk about when we talk about the um, sustainable investing gap. Um, that is seems like a really big number when you just say it out there, like, I don't have a trillion dollars. I can't even hardly imagine a trillion dollars. Um, but on a global scale, it is not a implausible number. We could redirect that amount of resources into um, sustainable technologies. And those technologies often have a, a lower cost than their traditional peers, particularly when you take into account how much we've subsidized the world that we're living in right now, how much governmental kind of taxpayer subsidies have gone into building oil and gas infrastructure, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and so that we, we, we sometimes have this notion that a sustainable investing is less uh, cost effective. You won't get as good returns. It won't be, it, you'll have to sacrifice something to make this happen. Um, and what we see is that you can build both portfolios that have similar 
returns as the general stock market. Um, and you see the cost of these technologies as they have as they get enough capital to pass that sort of initial inflection that they start having um, sort of an exponential return. Now, we're really bad at imagining exponentials. So um, my co-founder, Zach, likes to talk about, uh, show a picture of New York before cars were invented. And then just like, it was just like five years later. So you have horse and buggies and like one or two cars. Yeah. In this, and then suddenly it's all cars. These are these inflection points. And we're seeing that with solar. We're seeing that with electric cars. We're seeing that with other, um, potentially we're seeing that with uh, meat alternatives. Um, we're starting to see it on a number of different fronts, and and if you can if we can get past those inflection points, now suddenly these are runaway uh, phenomena, and those runaway phenomena are now in the positive direction for for solving climate change, and that has potential high upside for investing. So not only is it we can show historically that we can build a portfolio that is has strong returns um, or sort of matches or tracks the market and is aligned with solving climate change. But we can also, you can also imagine how these, as we hit these inflection points, we'll see really strong returns um, or stronger returns. Now, I think I lost track of your question. No, no worries. And it's a great answer. And just kind of, you know, right now, ESG is all the craze, right? Uh, I listen to the, you know, stock channel behind me in the background and, every commercial break. It's an ESG fund. Um, Talk about ESG, talk about kind of the current investment landscape. You've touched on it a little bit in it. Um, I'm hearing you say you shouldn't have to sacrifice performance when you're making sustainable investments. I think that is um, sort of a you know, maybe a stereotype is not quite the right word, but I think people do sort of feel uh, making sustainable investments might sacrifice their performance, but it's good for the earth. So I'm going to do it anyway. So talk a little bit about the current investment spaces and ESG and, um, and then touch a little more on why you don't have to sacrifice performance uh, by investing in renewables and other sustainable platforms. Yeah. I love that you brought this up when I was uh, in college and looking at these funds. I remember my dad, a couple other people telling me, uh, don't bother investing in like in ethical portfolios. Just you know, invest in an index fund and take the difference in performance between that index fund and that other sustainable fund, mm-hmm. and give to charity the difference. Like mm-hmm. you know, sort of buy back that difference, um, and which was a really unsatisfying answer. Um, so I've been looking for something that was more satisfying on the ethical front for a long time. But bringing it back to your, your particular question, ESG stands for um, Environmental, Social, and government Governance. And when people think about it, what they assume they're talking about is these are the best of the best companies. These are the companies that perf- are, you know, are making stances, are doing something that's in alignment for positive environmental issues, being pos- you know, pushing those forward and pushing forward. Uh, social, larger social issues, and then the governance of their company, like what they do internally, who's in leadership, how they treat their employees is also positive. That is what people assume. However, what ESG actually is, it is a, um, it is a data set provided by private companies who, if you look at the largest company, which is MSCI, uh, who provides this data, they say, this is not a measure of the goodness of a company. It is the measure of resilience against these issues. Mm -hmm. So they are 
taking reports and various other things to met and creating a, a financial indicator to say, how, how resilient are these companies going to be to perturbations on these fronts, which is a very different metric than, is this a company I, I believe in will help create the world I want to live in? Like that, they're, they're, very, they're very separate, but we've yeah. come to think of them as the same. So that means when a, a, a fund manager like BlackRock comes and makes an ESG fund, you'll see things in that fund that make no sense. Why is ExxonMobil in their ESG fund? In their, in fact, why is it in their carbon-free fund? Like, why, why are these, why are oil companies and and repeated bad actors in these ostensibly ethical funds? And it's because they're not actually ethical in the way, in the lay sense of the word. Um, part of that's because it's really hard to build something in our in our, in our uh, current economic system where it's like there's not. You can always find something wrong with a company. That's part sure. of the problem. The other part is I don't think there's been a lot of interest from the financial world of A, highlighting how bad their traditional portfolios are, or B, trying to trying to take an ethical stand. It hasn't been in their DNA, in their, in their periphery that's like, this is it's so important. We have to say what we believe and then make something in alignment with what we believe. So um, what we end up seeing is something either well-meaning but missing the mark for what people want, all the way up to just flat-out greenwashing, which is why the SEC is trying to crack down on this and make uh, stricter rules. Now, we took a different approach. We said, we're not going to take these data sets and try to figure out which is the least bad company out there. We have three main theses. One is you have to divest from oil. There's not a world in which we solve climate change where we can subsidize uh, cheap capital for uh, oil expansion. We have enough in reserves that we could exceed our, our limits right now. So we can't be investing any more in oil, gas, exploration, production, et cetera. The second, so that's our divestment. The second is you need to be actively investing in technologies that are going to transition us away from needing fossil fuels and in technologies that will help us get to a point of drawdown or pulling more CO2 out of the atmosphere than we're releasing. And we have a list, if you go to our website, if you go to carboncollective.co and look at our climate um, index, our climate solutions fund, it will list all of the sectors that we think are important and all of the companies that are primarily working on those solutions. Awesome. So that's yeah. our, please okay. go ahead. No, please. Um, so the, the the third part of our thesis is that you should use your shareholder advocacy. You should use your ability to vote on these company, um, on what these company um, proposals put forth in these companies, to help pressure companies, particularly um, in our core portfolio where we've divested from oil, but we still have a large section of the economy in it. You should be pressuring those companies to um, take climate change more seriously. So connect connect CEO pay to their, the climate, their uh, ability to hit their goals on various uh, climate goals, um, to do more in-depth reporting and planning around how they're going to mitigate their carbon um, and not just buying offsets. So that pressure is a third way in which we want to um, move the mark. So that, that's our, our main three investment hypotheses. Awesome. I love it. And that's a perfect transition uh, into, I, I want you to just kind of you know, in layman's terms, get into how the platform works 
how do you open an account with Carbon Collective? Who's eligible? Um, are these you know individual investors or just funds? And then I want to, after you go there, you mentioned your climate index, which is super interesting mm-hmm. and obviously kind of at the core of what you do. So um, who's eligible to open an account with Carbon Collective? Kind of walk us through how it works. Anyone who has an address and a social security number in the U.S. is eligible for an account. Um, we actually also launched the 401k product. So if you're a company and you want to give your employees options to our portfolios as well as others, um, you can also sign up that way. Um, but as an individual, if you have or want a retirement account like an IRA or Roth IRA if you or SEP IRA, if you want to have an individual investment account, sort of similar to what a Betterment or Wealthfront would offer you, mm-hmm. then you can regularly deposit into um, and have that automatically invested on your behalf, or even if you wanted to do something like a trust. Um, so they're like, we have a, a wide, we're trying to offer a wide range of tools. So like whatever your financial sure. needs are that you can set something up that would meet those needs. Um, now, of course we don't have everything yet. We've only been around for two years. So, um, it's not quite at the, um, we don't, we don't have the full expanse, but that's what we're building out. Towards. So, um, if you go to our website, you can sign up online. It'll take a little bit of time, but then you'll have an account and um, can connect your bank account and deposit cash, or you can roll over an old account. Maybe you have an old 401k and you're like, this is sitting and I don't even know what. Um, I want to roll this over into an IRA with Carbon Collective and have them manage it. Fabulous. Yeah, I've seen some other companies similar to you, but I think they're really more built for like the fund managers. Uh, so I love that, you know, you, you've already got a suite of products. I actually didn't realize you had an IRA. You had mentioned when we talked previously, the 401k. So that's amazing that you, you already have that optionality. Um, and, and I love that an individual can, can just log in and with a few clicks, connect their bank account and, and take that step. So that's, that's awesome. And look forward to seeing what other products you continue to roll out. Um, Talk to our listeners and viewers about this climate index we've referenced and and how this informs your portfolio decisions. Yeah, so um, there's a little bit to give you a peek behind the curtain. There's a lot of discussion about whether we should still call it an index or not. We were trying to get at the idea that we weren't picking winners and losers. We were picking everyone in the drawdown space Mm. that was building primarily, was primarily building a solution towards climate change. Um, and so this is not our saying this battery company or this electric vehicle company or this um, building rent, uh, sorry, building automation company is better sure. than the other. Yeah. What we're trying to say is what are the companies who do this primarily? Mm-hmm. What are the companies who make most of their revenue from doing this? And not, there are some cases where they make wind turbines, but they make most of their money through. Uh, gas turbines. And if, sure. if that's the case, then you investing in that company doesn't accelerate our goals at all. So we we build, we curate that list. And you can, when you go online, you can see not only every company that's in our collection, in our climate solutions fund, but you can see the companies that were close, but didn't make it. That we Interesting. And you can see why, because we think it's really important that folks understand in a, in a world that's been filled with greenwashing, they should understand exactly why each company is in there and how it fits into our investment thesis. So um, 
yeah, as I said before, you can go check out that. There's a dynamic list where you can fill, look at each of the categories, why each of the how each of the categories links to solving climate change, and then how each what each of those companies inside the portfolio does, um, and how that links to solving climate change. So both very transparent and very expansive list. No, oh, cool. It's it's so hard to really understand uh, what companies are doing, and and I think that your platform really helps with that. About how many companies are in the climate index that you've put together? Right now, there's 169. Um, okay. Now, we update this every year. Um, if a company no longer gets most of its revenue or most of its or does primarily that um, solution, then they could be removed. Um, new companies are going public all the time. Yep. Um, some companies are getting... Uh, are getting acquired and come off. So the list, the number shifts. Sure. Um, but that's, that's approximately, it's a fairly, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not a, you know, 4,000 share index or 4,000 company index, but it is a, a sizable number of companies. So if I just ask you some kind of simple questions, forgive me. If I go in and I put a thousand dollars into my account, um, you had mentioned like a robo investor kind of thing where it'll automatically invest. Yep. Is it going to go and buy those 169 companies? Is that, is it yeah. actually investing in individual shares of the companies? If you're invested in, there are two different portfolios. We have our core, which is, I'd say it's the cut out fossil fuels, invest in the low carbon economy and in climate solutions. So it's a mix. Um, and then we have our climate only, which is just the, Climate Solutions Fund. So in that second one, in that second one, you'll be invested, you'll buy those 169 companies and green bonds. And that's all that's in your portfolio. Now, when you are onboarded, it matches your risk tolerance towards a, so we recommend a particular portfolio, particular split of bonds and and equities. Um, But then once that's set, every time you add money, it will automatically buy in fractional shares um, each of those each of those companies in proportion to its weighting. How cool. Well, we will definitely include your website in the show notes so people can easily find that. Uh, As we kind of start to wrap this up, talk about some of the things you're excited about, your long-term goal. You know, what is the the end goal with Carbon Collective? What do the next five, 10 years look like? And and what are you excited about for the future? Yeah, so if we're looking... I mean, what I'm excited about for the future is us investing in and building a positive outlook. So it's not just that we avert the climate crisis. It's that when we have no more combustion cars in our cities, the air is cleaner in our cities. When we have deeply electrified homes, they're more efficient, but also more pleasant to live in. Like the add-on effects of making these changes are tend to be fairly positive. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about building that world. But as far as like Carbon Collective in particular, um, we're imagining that when people think about their wealth today, it's kind of like there's a tension. Wealth, wealth is linked to capitalism. Capitalism is, you know, is stigmatized or you have to be for it or against it. It's like a very strong thought, but it's not like I get to feel warm and fuzzy about um, how my money's being used. But we imagine that in your portfolio, every single sleeve, every single portion of a diversified portfolio, whether it be real estate, whether it be private investments, whether it be your equities or your bonds, has tangible climate action associated with it. 
If you're investing in real estate, it is converting those buildings to using less energy. If you're investing in, if you don't, most people don't have access right now, but if we can get them access to more private funds, it's investing in early companies or companies that would never go public mm-hmm. uh, and having and doing things like uh, uh, regenerative agriculture, which you can't really invest in very well right now. Mm-hmm. You can't invest into a whole sort of wealth management system. So giving people access to invest in across the board in a way that would be transformative to building the world they want to live in. Uh, so that's that's what we that's what we're working towards. Now we only have a few steps of that. We're only dealing with publicly traded companies right now. We you know it's we're using some other of other people's funds right now to to build out our own. Um, and so it is not we haven't fully realized this vision. But if you come join us, you'll get to see that vision unfold. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, congratulations on all the work and everything you've achieved thus far. Really look forward to continuing to follow the company. Um, tell our listeners and viewers, besides your website, how can they find you online? Are you LinkedIn guy? Are you on Twitter? Um, throw some handles out there so yeah. folks can follow you. You can follow us on um, LinkedIn. We're pretty active there. Um, I'd say we're least active on Twitter, but we do have uh, both an Instagram and uh, which is carbon.collective. And, and a TikTok if you're All really, right. into the, really into the new social media front. I have uh, to admit, I'm not on TikTok yet, but I have some friends who, uh, cl- well, some people you know, tell some me people, I should be on. Some people tell me don't be on because it's very addicting. So um, yeah. I, I, I think I have enough social media in my life, but um, okay. good to well, know that, that's what that. all the cool kids are doing. So BioStar should probably be on TikTok as well. Awesome. Well, James, really kudos to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been uh, really awesome to learn about your company. And like I said, really excited to following you all into the future. Um, Everybody check out the show notes. We'll include um, Instagram and and TikTok handles and other socials. Um, And we'll include the Carbon Collective website in there as well. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners and viewers, especially those who have hit the follow button and follow our podcast week to week. We so appreciate you tuning in. James Regulinski with Carbon Collective. It's been a pleasure and uh, hopefully you'll come back on the show soon. Uh, Thank you, David. Likewise, it's been an absolute pleasure. Excellent. Happy Earth Day. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. 